Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Are you ready to challenge your rhetoric? Today is Wednesday, July 12th, 2017. My name is Sherry Roberts, and you're listening to Challenging the Rhetoric. Thanks for tuning in. Tonight, I have not one but three guests, documentary filmmaker Mary Mazio, attorney Eric Bauer, and cybercrime expert Frederick Lane. We're going to discuss Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act and how it protects child sex traffickers, as example in Mazio's powerful and persuasive new documentary, I am Jane Doe. Welcome to the show. The internet has made it easier for children to be bought and sold online using the same technology, more or less, and even the same websites that people use to sell their old car, find an apartment, or adopt a kitty cat. Mixed in with the more than 100,000 escort ads that are being placed online daily, daily, okay? More than 100,000 escort ads being placed daily. There are people that have creatively created ads for buying and selling children for sex. This is real and it's happening every day right here in the United States. And it could happen to your family too, your kid, a child you know, maybe someone you go to school with. If you're one of the minors that are listening tonight, we have a PG-13 rating. Get ready to get mad because a lot of things that you hear tonight is going to piss you off, and rightfully so. While conspiracy theorists are wasting time and resources concocting political Pizzagate propaganda for clicks and hits and, you know, all that sort of stuff, the mumbo-jumbo out there, there's real children that are being sold in online classified ads and the websites that obscenely profit. There's a plug for Fred's book, one of our guests tonight. He has a, a book called Obscene Profits. Uh, but these these people, you know, they're... They're, that are hosting these websites, um, they're, the, the, the platforms themselves are making just a bunch of money and they're, they're being protected by Congress basically via Section 230 of the CDA and tech giants like <clears throat> Google and Facebook and Yahoo. And they, they contribute to special interest groups that lobby against amending this section, which here's what it currently reads. No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as a publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider, i.e. on my website, if I have someone else that's putting content on there, basically I'm not responsible for what they what they do. Well, that's really, really bad and you would think that I'm like shooting myself in the foot because I'm advocating for an amended uh, 320. So before you go all First Amendment on me, let me make this clear as Mary will in, in here in just a minute. This isn't about the First Amendment. This is about protecting children, including your own. As she says, this is not a First Amendment argument. It's about how technology has outpaced our laws. And I agree. We talk about tech's impact all the time here on Challenging the Rhetoric. The good, the bad, and like tonight, the ugly, the very, very ugly as always and you know we have a lot to talk about so please just stop right now and uh, share the show's link so more people can listen if you'd like to participate with us during the live broadcast you can join us in the chat room on blog talk radio forward slash challenging the rhetoric with sherry roberts just click on episode 54 and the chat room should load beneath the slider be sure to reach out to sue shugarts and uh chaos there in the chat room they're there to moderate tonight you can also tweet to me at ctr newsfeed or connect with me on uh, through the website and the facebook pages both at challengingtherhetoric.news tonight we're using the hashtags ctr i am jane doe 
and uh, sex trafficking and CDA. Remember, this is a dialogue. This is not a debate. Our first guests tonight are I am Jane Doe director, Mary Mazio, and cybercrime expert, Frederick Lane. Mary is an award-winning documentary filmmaker, an Olympian, and former law firm partner. She's uh, the founder and the CEO of 50 Eggs Incorporated, an independent uh, film company dedicated to creating films that have social impact. And in this case, I am Jane Doe, I hope appropriate congressional impact as well. But that's going to be up to all of you, too, so keep that in mind. Frederick. He is a sought-after computer forensics expert, cybercrime extraordinaire, attorney, and the author of the Cybertrap series. He's a regular guest on the show and a leading expert on child sexual assault imagery, which you call child pornography. Eric Bauer, the Washington State Attorney, litigating on behalf of trafficking. As seen in the film, we'll be jumping in a bit later. Mary Mazio, welcome, and thank you so much for agreeing to come on and talk about uh, not just your, your outstanding film, but this, this big problem itself. Sherry, thank you for having me. And Fred, uh, I look forward to our conversation tonight. Thank you so much. It's a oh, pleasure. Just so happy to have you. Fred, thank you for coming back again. This was perfect. Sherry, it's a delight to speak with you all the time. You know that. And I'm really glad to be here. <laughs> I, as I said off air, the, the documentary that Mary has done is outstanding. It is a terrific look at a really difficult issue. And I really do hope that many members of Congress take the time to watch it because it's incredibly uh, informative and instructional. So kudos for that. Yeah, Mary, it's it's fantastic. Um, I do a lot of shows on this and similar topics. Um, Fred has done many of them with me and as well as others. And um, this is something that really does matter to us a lot. And I, I think that you hit the nail on the head because we really truly are at this crossroads of with child sex traffic trafficking where it has met technology. And so again, that's why it made so much sense to have uh, Fred join us with all his expertise there uh, on the topic as well as technology and not just the um, sex crimes. So Mary, let's start with your film, I Am Jane Doe. Uh, again, that's incredible, but how, how you've, you've done other documentaries, but how did you get involved specifically with making a film about uh, trafficking to begin with? I might make a little bit of noise while you're answering, I'm listening, and pardon any background noise you might hear, but it is really hot here in Oregon right now, and I'm going to turn a fan on in the studio. <laughs> so, Sherry, thank you, uh, thank you for that for that question. I um, I read in the Boston Globe about Jane Doe's number one, Jane Doe number two, and Jane Doe number three that had filed suit against Backpage.com, the former formerly owned by the Village Voice. Um, for injuries that they sustained by virtue of being bought and sold for commercial sex online. These were children that were age 14 and 15 years old. And I read that article and two things struck me. One was that they were, these Jane Doe's were represented by Ropes and Gray, you know, sort of a, a white shoed law firm, really extraordinary lawyers, huge law firm, um, you know, in uh, in major cities across the country. And I remember thinking the federal district court judge ruled against these children. Like, how did that happen? Um, you know, what what was going what was going on with the court to decide that way? And oh, by the way, this is happening 15 minutes from where I live. Child sex trafficking 
Like, isn't that confined to developing nations, right? Right. And I, I bought in, I bought in, I think, like many Americans, that this is a crime that happens every once in a while. And you hear about it on the news. You hear about a child that might be end up in a dumpster, and it's, and it's, and it's sort of <clears throat> horrific, but you just don't hear about it very often. And when I started learning about the breadth and the scope of this crime, I mean, my head literally spun around 360 degrees. And I remember thinking to myself, how did I not know um, about the profound nature of this crime and that it is sort of like the silent epidemic that nobody talks about, that it's hidden in plain sight, that we're not talking about a kid here or there. We are talking about huge numbers of children and and it's sort of estimated that 15% of all homeless and runaway children will be sex trafficked. What does that mean? It means bought and sold and raped on an hourly basis, right? That, that's what it means, bought and sold for sex um, under the age of 18. And, um, and 15% of what the Department of Justice estimates is somewhere between 1.6 and 2.2 million children on the street at any one time. You do the math, 15% of 1.6 million. We're not talking about a kid here or there. That is over 100,000 children on an annual basis. And that's not even talking about the other children that are profoundly at risk, foster care, LBGTQ youth, adopted children. These children that are also victimized sit at the heart of the opioid epidemic. And nobody's really talking about that sort of side crisis of the opioid epidemic. Um, so this is a far-ranging problem that I believe it's a crime that has been swept under the rug as, you know, oh, it's a prostitution, <clears throat> world's oldest profession. It, we have a pretty woman situation going on. And I firmly believe, now coming out the other end of this project, that this crime has been institutionalized not just by the federal judiciary, but by those companies that have jumped into the ring um, to align themselves and support Backpage. Right, right. Uh, you and know, and, I, I and we need to remember oh, – oh, sorry, go – I, no, I sometimes go, ahead, go on these rants, Sherry. Uh, no, That's okay. On, I, you know, I we, we, have, on, on we have you – just so the listeners know, uh, Mary is going to be with us for the first hour of the show. It's a 90-minute a uh, show tonight, and Fred's going to be with us for the full 90 minutes. After Mary um, says good- goodbye to us here in about an hour, Eric Bauer, the attorney on one of the cases, is going to be joining us. So, um, Mary, no, feel free. I know that normally, you know, sometimes you're on shows where you just have very quick things and you need to get a lot in but we have some time and so we can meander through a little bit of it i want to make sure that the listeners truly understand and i and before i have fred comment on that i I think what really struck me very raw in what you said and i think is the most profoundly important thing out of what you've said so far that people need to truly understand is that this is real. People be, think it's this obscure thing. People, or they're ashamed uh, or embarrassed to talk about it because they don't understand it. They think it's, you know, all these things happening somewhere else. Or, or like, you know, currently we've heard a lot, a lot about like Pizzagate, the, you know, the, the fake pedophile rings and, and, you know, you get conspiracy theorists that go nuts with stuff and they always want to group it in with pedophilic type 
things with children and abusive children. And that muddies things up so bad. And people don't understand what is real anymore, especially when it's buying and selling kids. Really? In the classified ads? You gotta be kidding me. No, we're not kidding you. This is very real. And it could be somebody right in your own neighborhood. Fred, you want to come on, comment on what Mary has said so far? <laughs> of course. <laughs> There's, you know, this is this is an intense debate, and I think it might be useful for your listeners, Sherry. I know you know some of this, but I'm I'm not sure that Mary necessarily does, to understand that I've been researching and writing yes. about the use and misuse of the internet for 20 years now. Parallel to that, I've also been working as a computer forensics expert, and a good chunk of my work involves child pornography, which. I am now mm. in the process of trying to rename as electronic sexual assault because it is evidence of a crime. It is an ongoing violation in and of itself. So I, I, I want to make it absolutely clear from the start that I will not take second place to anyone in terms of my antagonism to this kind of behavior and my belief that this is a real human tragedy that we have not devoted enough resources to categorically could not agree more with the impulse behind I am Jane Doe. It gets the, a little you know, to, bit, it, go ahead, Mary. I, I was going to say, b before we get to sort of the legal issues, just talking yeah. about the scope of the problem, I think this is a human rights violation and it's Absolutely kind of the agree. human rights yeah. violation of today. And let me put an asterisk on that by saying the Department of Education and Health and Human Services are launching a new initiative called Beneath the Surface. This is, a pro this is going to be a prevention initiative to educate children who are at risk of trafficking. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a second. The Department of Education is launching mm -hmm. this initiative. Why? Sure. Because the, the problem is so profound and widespread, right? Like oh, Mary. Yeah. But Mary, that makes that makes total sense to me. And, and one of the things, uh, Sherry, as you know, I wrote a blog post about that, you know, Mary, I think you had a chance to see it. Look, part of my argument, and, and we'll deal with this here before we get into the legal issues. Part of my argument is that we need to devote more resources as a society to these kinds of systemic issues. You mentioned mm -hmm. the opioid crisis. You know, it's interesting that that is one of the the flies in the ointment in terms of the efforts to reshape Obamacare, the real concern that, that if mm -hmm. you strip away even the, even the moderate amount of money that's being spent on the opioid crisis, we have no idea where the bottom is. Right. And I will argue, as someone who's written about these issues intensely, that it is our, our reluctance to confront sexual issues and to deal with these things openly and above board that makes this an underground problem. And, and I, I can't tell you how horrifying I find it. I was on a school board for 10 years. We were constantly worried about precisely these issues. I have four boys that you know, we are trying to raise in an environment that makes them aware of these kinds of risks. So it, it is something that we cannot publicize enough. We really cannot. And and once we publicize it, hopefully people just from some level of compassion and humanity will say we need to devote the resources to policing, to education, to psychological health, to addiction, abuse, all of the factors that feed into that. 
I, I could not agree more, and, and I'm absolutely passionate about this. And, and, and the second piece is how lucrative this is, mm -hmm. um, yes. human trafficking and the sale of children. It is rapidly yes. displacing uh, the sale of guns, the sale of drugs, the sale of arms in terms of funding terrorist activity. Human trafficking is so lucrative, and it's so profitable back page according to a senate investigation that sort of erupted as as we were in the middle of of the making of i am jane doe right, disclosed right. that back page was on track in, in 2015 um to make over 150 million dollars on an annual basis from its sites in the u.s um and 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 worldwide although um with a, a recent find of new data that was inadvertently stumbled into, um, which the Washington Post covered this morning. Right. Clearly hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars on an annual basis. Um, you know, this is such a profitable business. And, and listen, let's talk about Backpage for a minute. This comes out of the Village Voice. The Village Voice and other alternative weeklies you know, these were really rabble-rousing, you know, mm -hmm. uh, stick yes. to the man, right. you know, uncover <laughs> corporate fraud. And what's fascinating, it was all funded by sex ads. And in the 70s, you know, the 70s and 80s, you had massage parlor ads and you had prostitution. And this was like free love, free sex, baby. Like, nobody gave a shit, right? Like, like right. nobody was talking about human trafficking back in. Sorry, do we have like a profanity delay or? We we have a PG thirteen, yeah. so you're okay with shit, but not nothing further. <laughs> oh, that's a whole conversation right there, Sherry. Right. So you. And I, and I don't have my buzzer in here. I have an air horn, but I I would I would deafen the listeners. Okay. Good. Good. Well, you know, so you have the alternative weeklies, the Village Voice being among the largest that that carried on what was really quasi criminal. Right. So you had and it was funny, I was talking with a journalist several weeks ago and he said, you know, what happened is you had this quasi criminal culture that um, we had conversations in the making of I Am Jane Doe with former editors of the Village Voice and writers. And they talked about the sex ads in the paper, the printed section, go, running amok. Like, you know, the Village Voice was getting to be like three inches thick, mostly of sex ads. So at one point, there was an internal executive decision. Oh, Jesus, we got to cut down on the sex ads. Let's raise the rates. So as lore goes, um, they tracked down uh, the most important customer, 75% of all those print ads were being placed by a single pimp in Brooklyn. They drive wow. out, sir, we've got to raise the rates. Not a problem. Six months later, too many sex ads. So they're like, drove, drive out. We got to double the rates again. Not a problem, right? So, the, so, so to consider that the prevailing argument now that Backpage has really asserted has been we're a passive website. Uh, people come on our site. We don't create content. We're just an intermediary um, and really should have no responsibility for what people put up on our site. The reality is if you think about how the Village Voice operated when it, it was in its, its print iteration, of course it had interactions with its customers. Who were those customers? It was the, the from Brooklyn, right? So when it went online and things really exploded, 
Um, I think that that is where, A, the profitability was just, you know, it just went through the roof. And, you know, I think the owners of Backpage, did they start out with this sort of business plan? They were rabble-rousing libertarians, right? They were alternative, legitimate newspaper guys. And it's my personal opinion, I, I you know, I can't, I can't read the minds of any of these individuals, but I think at some point in time, the money was just too intoxicating. And as the, the discussion around human trafficking sharpened and the lens sort of, you know, opened, if you will, the aperture opened, what is this problem? It is modern day slavery. I think there was just a calculus made. You know what? This is simply collateral damage for, for our business. Mary, if I can weigh in on some of that, um, let me let me just offer a little bit of background because my book, Obscene Profits, which came out in 2000, was designed specifically to look at the economics of the growing online adult industry. And, and a lot of what you say is correct. I think it's actually interesting that in the late 1970s, the newspaper industry as a whole backed away from the adult movie ads which was a significant source of revenue to them and in some small ways contributed to the decline of the newspaper as a medium. My understanding with respect to the Village Voice is that they acquired Backpage at some point subsequent to the rabble rousing days, which you and I are both old enough to sort of remember from, you know, the mid seventies. And, and you're absolutely right. Oh, speak for yourself, Fred. Fair enough. But for a print publication, I think you're, you're spot on that, that in an incredibly competitive and rapidly changing media environment, they're struggling to remain in print. And here is this big golden goose. And you're, you're right. They were not going to look too closely at what was being advertised. Then the evidence that's coming out of the Philippines, the most recent disclosure, actually paints a much more sinister picture that they're, for lack of a better phrase, in bed with the advertisers to make this stuff more effective and more efficient. And that okay, is wait, whoa, absolutely whoa, 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 whoa. criminal. <laughs> no, but, but you called them advertisers, right? They're in bed with the traffickers and pimps and criminals, right? Like, fair, I mean, it's, right. And, and I'm, 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 I'm only absolutely. teasing you, but no, but no, fair but correction. Fact, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. And the yeah, reason that's, that's I point just, that out is because. Mary, let, let me just say that sorry. that's the same so, as with, with yeah. Fred with, uh, you know, child pornography and, you know, crime and crime scene imagery. And, you know, it's the same with trafficking victims that are that are pimped out there. People, you know, they're, they're getting charged with child prostitution. They're not prostitutes. You know, they are they are slaves. They are they're being bought and sold as slaves. So all, all those minor details uh, do matter. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and you know, to call them. A, and, and the reason I say advertisers is because. Um, these Jane Doe children in Boston that, that filed suit, their case was appealed to the First Circuit Court of Appeals, where Justice Souter from the Supreme Court came and mm -hmm. sat in, right? He was uh, yeah. uh, one of the, the, the three panel of judges. And I was at that hearing, and they kept calling it the quote-unquote venture of trafficking. Not once hmm. did you hear the phrase, a child was sold for commercial sex. Hmm. A child was raped. You never heard the word rape during that entire interchange. It was, well, 
who was engaged in the venture of trafficking, said one judge. And I'm thinking, it's almost like they're discussing this as a legitimate business. The right. venture yeah. of trafficking. Are you effing kidding me? <laughs> I, I was, I was, but that sanitization. Yeah. Good job, Mary. And, and that's job. why I really, you know, and that's when it's, it struck me. The federal judiciary is institutionalizing this crime with this sort of language detachment, this pretty woman sort of gauze on mm-hmm. the whole issue. And sure. what shocked me most, and, and Fred, I know you have very definite opinions about this, but here's the problem. The First yeah. Circuit ruled that even if Backpage had participated in this crime, had profited from, in effect was a co-conspirator in the sale of children and the advertising of children, sorry, no liability under Section 230. It's technically third, you know, third-party content. Yeah. If, I, if I disagree with that, that decision. I, I, let me be oh, clear. you do? I think that that's, okay. I absolutely do. Let me be. No, oh, I, so, I think I'm that's an important that. point because, I believe me, I, I do have some disagreement, I think, with you about the you know, about the role that, for instance, Google or Facebook is playing and and sort of the overall structure. (laughs) Right. But but with respect to that specific decision, I am categorically in disagreement with what the First Circuit did. Look at it this way. If we have a paper that is trying to run an or, or, or permits an advertisement for images of child abuse, i.e. child pornography or electronic sexual assault, that is a crime. And it seems to me very clear cut that you are able to penalize that as a criminal act without violating the First Amendment, because the underlying image is both a crime and evidence of a crime. And I don't see how it is an abuse of Act 230 to reach that conclusion. If the court's reading it that way, then they're glorifying the Internet above anything else. Now, I believe that there are some legitimate points there, but not that one. Well, and here's what struck me. I'm just going to segue right into this about (laughs) Google and Facebook. I'm I'm just going to take it right there. And I'm I'm really – I loved Google. Do no evil. They sort of appeared as this benevolent – public utility you'd go on google on mother's day and there would be hearts and oh isn't it sweet you know and yeah. here's here's the shocking rea- here's really the shocking reality of all of this who has been in bed and and back back pages sort of staunchest allies the center for democracy and technology and mm-hmm. the electronic frontier foundation and you know i know sometimes you might I, yeah. say legitimately so however instead of making a calculated decision, wait, we've got this website, they make, you know, most of their money on commercial sex ads, children are being sold, humans are being trafficked, this is modern day slavery, instead of saying, let's not support that guy, our our ugly second cousin of a website with all the warts all over it. The, the tech industry, via those two really powerful special interest groups, could have done two things. They could have submitted amicus briefs in the cases on behalf of the children, saying to the federal judges, Section 230 does not, it was never congressional intent to cover active 
facilitation of a crime by a website operator. They could have done that. You know, Section 230 was enacted years ago when the Internet was beginning, and it was really intended so that, you know, Twitter and Facebook wouldn't be hit with lawsuits over somebody saying, well, you have an ugly face or, you know, whatever it is, right? Something defamatory. Sure. So, and of course, those services yeah. didn't exist then when that was passed. Right. Um, right. So, but yes. even media but prodigy, did not exist but then. prodigy did. Right. Um, but so had the tech community via these special interest groups looked at the situation, and said, "Oh boy, we have what is effectively a boiler room operation." That's what it is, right? It is a it is a boiler room operation. Are we going to jump in and defend it on policy grounds, or should we isolate it and just make it clear? that we are okay, right? We're content neutral sites that if a website is engaged in criminal activity, that that's not protected. It's not protected by the First Amendment. It's criminal speech is not protected. And certainly Congress never intended for criminal acts to be covered. They could have done that. They could have sided with the children. If they had done Mm -hmm. that, it is highly likely we would not be in a situation today where an amendment is brewing on the Hill to amend Section 230 because of how the First Circuit ruled. Somebody well, okay. made a decision <laughs> and said, Wait, I'm going to go, jump in. I'm going to jump in real rant. quick. Okay. Um, I, I want to jump in real quick because, you know, the two of you with your, your legal backgrounds and stuff, I don't have a legal background. And um, I think sometimes that it's important that we don't. Uh, talk over just the the lay listener too on some of this stuff. So I think it's I think it's really important if you guys can also kind of break down, you know, with with the the way these laws work. Us three here in this conversation, you especially, you know, Mary. Obviously, you're living and breathing this. Uh, Fred and I, as show prep, you know, we're we're up on on these pieces that you're talking about. But again, for for the average person out there, child trafficking is still you know this balloon kind of floating out there that uh, it might be real so these things you know giving people something like i have found we go 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 look it up yourself you know that doesn't work they're going to go find all the garbage they're going to go find all the junk so just before we lose some of what we've already talked about uh, and mary i'm going to go back to you first and then and and then fred back to you with regards to this piece of legislation uh, with regards to section 230 and what the first circuit had done is there anything that anybody can go like if they wanted to go online somewhere right now that they could go and do something that's whether it's just a petition like the i am jane doe petition or something else mary yes so we actually because you know because some of these are you're absolutely right sherry for the lay listener who who has not read the statute who's like oh my god what are these legal cases about we actually have right. a, a very sort of um, brief primer on our website, which is imjanedofilm.com. And on the Join Us page, we go through the issues in the cases, what the Jane Doe children are arguing. They're really fighting for their day in court. That's what they're really doing. We also have um, opportunities for people to call their senator, to call their congressman or congresswoman, to sign a petition asking uh, the CDT and Facebook and Google to stop its support of Backpage. Um, and I think fundamentally that's the issue, is you have a website making hundreds of millions of dollars with evidence produced by the U.S. Senate 
that it's a company and a website that has been facilitating human trafficking, including the sale of children. How is that legal in this country? That's the fundamental question. And the First Circuit has held, in fact, it's legal. Go ahead. Okay, now, Fred, when it comes to, if you can break this down for us just briefly, because then I want to, I want to take this somewhere. I'm going to move us into a, a different little arena for a minute. Um, so when we're talking about Section 230 of the CDA, it, it only applies to online entities. It doesn't apply to the New York Times paper, print and paper. It doesn't mm-hmm. apply to Cosmopolitan magazine. Um, if challenging the rhetoric was a, a print periodical versus an online entity, it wouldn't apply to me. So how how can I mean, you know, the New York Times, let's say if they did run an ad, accept an ad, you know, for uh, for a child, someone that was selling a child um, and they got busted, they're going to get in trouble. Why is it different for the Internet? And 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 bear with me on this, because right now a lot of things can are happening right now. We have the net neutrality is, is back right now going, going, going. Mm-hmm. We have um, three pieces of uh, legislation that passed today that have to do with human trafficking. So how how can that be different? Please explain that to people that are not lawyers, because you would think it's a slam dunk. Well, it should be one and the same for both equal under the law, da, 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 da. It's a really interesting legal question. I spent a little bit of time looking at this briefly for precisely that reason. And it's not entirely clear to me what led the newspapers, apart from their own editorial choices to stop, for instance, carrying adult movie ads, many of which alluded to similar kinds of activities that we're discussing with respect to Backpage. And I think that the issue that you're dealing with there, even though they are broadly protected by the First Amendment, is that they were concerned about the impact on readership and advertising and people didn't want to be associated and so on and so forth. So I my sense is that with respect to newspapers, it's more about self-censorship than it is about active government prosecution. And that would be an interesting test case if it ever arose. What makes it different with respect to the internet though, is that when the Communications Decency Act was passed in 1996, included in that was the sentence that you read at the top of the hour which makes it very clear that if someone was contributing to Prodigy or CompuServe or AOL at the time that, you know, the CDA was adopted, that the companies that were carrying those posts would not be liable if someone said something that could be considered defamatory, libelous, harmful emotionally, all of these different things. The backstory is actually really interesting, as as Mary went into in her film, you know, where someone was trying to bring a suit for a, you know, alleged stock tip and it went bad and blah, blah, blah. And they were accusing uh, the Wolf of Wall Street of actually being, you know, fraudulent. And he sued and won. And in fact, he was being fraudulent. So the whole thing was kind of a mess. But when Congress was debating, <laughs> when Congress was debating the CDA, they said, we want this speech we want to protect the people who are making you know, these websites possible, so we're going to put this provision in. And that's what we're debating 20 years later. 
And I would argue, and I think Mary would agree with this, that the problem we're confronting today did not exist online when that law was passed. So she right. has a really good argument that we need to step back and say, from a policy point of view, can we address this in a way that doesn't damage the First Amendment? The one thing that I want to close with, because I do think that this is important, is that it, it makes me a little uncomfortable to describe the Center for Democracy and Technology and the Electronic Frontier Foundation as special interest groups. I, I look at them as organizations that are special interest groups in the same way that the ACLU is, in the sense that you they're advocating watch, watch on behalf yeah. of they're advocating on behalf of the Constitution, which I, I fundamentally do not consider to be a special interest. So we can that's, have a really uh, that, I think that's overstating it. Right. <laughs> well, okay, but, they're but funded. We they are funded by primarily the tech community, having gone through their 990s, right? It, well, of it course, is, right. Yeah, I get that course. because they have the money, but I've donated to those groups because I, I respect the principles that they are supporting. And, and I agree with your fundamental question or your fundamental statement that in a case like this, it would have been responsible to say, and hopefully in the legislative process, they would contribute in a meaningful way. It would have been helpful to say, this is in fact a real problem. We want to defend the First Amendment, but we also want to fix this genuine tragedy that is occurring. Right. And, and, and like the, Let me jump in real quick. Let me exactly. chime in real quick, please. Okay. Here, here, here's the thing. I, I, I hear you, Fred, and, and I understand what you're saying, and I hear you, Mary. I'm going to play yeah. devil's advocate a lot tonight, I can tell. Um, but the, the, and, 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 and even more so when I steer this somewhere else in a, in, in a moment. But I, I like the ACLU. I support the ACLU. I don't agree with everything with the ACLU. I um, support SPLC, S, the, the, the Center for Poverty Law, Southern Poverty Law Center, sorry. I don't necessarily agree with everything that they put out there. And, and, and we have that. I mean, that's going to be with everything, with the, with the ADL, with, with the Freedom Frontier Foundation. All of these things, just like a person, they're going to have good and bad things about them. Mary's point is a bigger point, and, and I really think, uh, Mary, I don't know if you were ever abused as a child, but my my regular listeners know that that I was. Fred knows that I was. We've we've done multiple shows based on different aspects of it. But I think for people that have been abused, sexually abused, particularly as children, I think that we sit here and we say, how is this not a no-brainer? Again, taking the legalese out a minute so that people can just understand the, 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 the simplicity of how it's wrong and why. How is this not a no-brainer that, that this can happen? Why would anybody protect and think that, that, their, that, that you know, their platform is more important than the mm -hmm. rape of a child? Okay, that's really so, what so it all boils down to. It does. It does. And what you're really saying is why is it okay that we still have the Wild West when it comes to the Internet, right? Yes, so and we all you know can why. Do things, but, right, and whether that should continue. You can do things online that are criminal in the real world. So, for example, let me just take the analogy of Backpage, right? Backpage 
has sort of like, let's call it a, 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 almost like a mall, a pod where you can put up an ad, you can put up a poster um, and sell a person. If you were to go into your local mall, rent space, and put up posters of people for sale, what do you think would happen? And that's the fundamental problem. Why is right. it okay to do something online that is simply not okay or criminal in real life? And my opinion is these online tech companies, what we're seeing is the dark side of technology that, as Fred said, was nobody ever saw this coming. But guess what? It's coming. And, and Sherry, I disagree a little bit because I, um, I don't agree with the ACLU. I think they go to the extreme. I think the CDT and the EFF go to the extreme. And I, I, I think they ought to be held accountable for those decisions. Um, and I am, um, I, I've been really surprised at the flip answer that I continue to hear coming out of the CDT, coming out of the EFF, which is, well, this is the price for free and open internet. This is quote unquote unfavorable speech. And that's not what it is. We're not talking about free speech at all. And that's the piece that, like, it's almost like presto magic, right, that mm -hmm. these companies have enjoyed for 20 years having no responsibility for content at all. And we're talking about criminal activity, not speech, activity. And I think I, I that's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, so, I agree I'm, with From a, a survivor. Like, go ahead. Uh, Sherry, let me let yeah. Me I was going to say from a from a. Let me just finish this from a because Sherry started with the survivor piece. I cannot tell you, Sherry, how many survivors have reached out to us, not just with respect to sexual abuse, but also those who have been cyberbullied. Um, mm -hmm. Those two sets of victims have had no recourse. Um, you know, <laughs> they'll call up a platform, and and Fred, you'll you'll find this really interesting. Two of the cases that were filed against Backpage were prompted by mothers who called up Backpage pleading for the site to remove the photos of their children. Those mm -hmm. photos were not removed. Yes, that's criminal. That's a, that's a criminal act. And, and I, I think we can be very clear about that. And I think that, that listeners should really... Um, listeners should be, be confident that we can distinguish, and, and I would like to see Congress do this, between criminal speech or speech supporting or advertising criminal behavior and unfavorable speech. Because as a society, we value unfavorable speech as part of the ongoing discourse that theoretically makes us a better nation. But we don't favor criminal speech, and I think we can be very, very clear about that. I do think that it is useful to have a brief discussion about practicalities, because that's one of the things that does arise in this context. And so, you know, as, as I addressed a little bit in the post that I wrote, one of the questions that I have is, and I'm not saying that this is an impediment, I have a legitimate intellectual interest here, are we saying to online companies like Backpage or Craigslist or, for that matter, Google, Yahoo Ads, whoever it is, that they have an affirmative duty to investigate all of their advertisers. 
Fred, yeah. I'm going to answer this first. Yes, because here, here, this yeah. deal. If I put a trampoline <laughs> in my backyard, if I put a trampoline in my backyard and parents entrust all their children to come over here and they get hurt, I'm in trouble. Okay. Any, anything else, any, anything that we do outside of the internet, we get in trouble for, we're accountable for. The internet is not, not real life. I was so sick from the very beginning of the internet when people would say, I are, you know, IRL in real life and, and say, oh, just my Facebook friends, or I got to go back to my life or whatever. Everything that we do on the internet, except for people that are out there just being idiots is our real life. It is our real life. But, and so but, we, we have to have, sure. we have to have laws. Hold on, Fred, let me finish this. We have <laughs> to have laws that are up to speed with the pace of where technology is now. We don't have it on this issue. We don't have it on so many other issues. Fred, you've done multiple shows with me on cyberbullying as well. You know, the threats yeah, and that absolutely. I've been under and how severe they've been. And this is a weekly daily basis for me for, you know, years now, and there's no recourse for much of it. And it's all about those fine lines, that verbiage, just like when we're talking about, is it child porn? Is it crime scene imagery? Is it child prostitution? Mm -hmm. Are they being trafficked? Are they being, you know, sold slaves? All that terminology, it matters in all of this. And let's, let's be real here. Okay. This, this section, section 230. Okay. Again, I'm not a lawyer and I'm going to just make it simplistic. I'm sure. And anybody can laugh or whatever, but again, it reads no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as a publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider and it should end in except in the event of crimes against children how simple is that well, well sure <laughs> and that's a legitimate debate to have but but just to be clear you know if you read in the newspaper that Meineke or some other car repair person is offering some kind of deal and the car repair guy rips you off you can't sue the newspaper for that unless they knew that the guy was fraudulent so there is some overlap with the real world in terms of what kind of knowledge the publisher has of the offending act. i think when it comes and, to and, human beings human beings human lives are far cry a far cry from what's under your hood Okay. Well, it's okay, a far fine, cry from to, a warranty we, for a refrigerator or, or any other kind of uh, chintzy thing. We're talking human beings. So that is not apples to apples comparison. We uh, have to have no, accountability no, no. and response. I agree. Sure. The, the accountability, the accountability issue here is not with respect to what underlies it. What I'm specifically getting at, because I think it's a legitimate discussion point is the extent of the investigation that a publisher needs to do. And I, I would entertain, I would entertain a discussion that ads for any kind of sexual services are not something that should be permitted. That might be the way to go about it, because I would argue that from a practical point of view, to the extent that, you know, and Justice Souter was just out of his mind when he was talking about this, but to the idea that that escort services are in any way appropriate, it's ridiculous. I would support that. I would definitely be willing to have a conversation about that simply because of the overlapping harm. Let's just get rid of it altogether. You know, in terms of sexually related services, there's no there's no significant value to society for that. 
and there's other mechanisms that, that people want. I think that that would well, muddy well, the well, battle. Well, you're going Fred, off the reservation, Fred. Yeah, I think that that would muddy the You have just create... trampled the First Amendment. <laughs> well, no, but we're I can't believe about... you did that, Fred. No. <laughs> well, but we're talking about... Poor Fred. Now, we're talking about quote-unquote commercial speech, which is not the full panoply of the First Amendment. I actually don't think it is. So that's a distinction. That's an important distinction. Mary and Sherry, I will tell you, if you want to publish something about sex, I will be at the forefront of your defense. But if you want to sell sex, that's a different thing. And I, that's a discussion we could have. It's an important distinction, right? Because you're arguing that the harm that we're experiencing, which is profound and real, is because companies are hiding behind Section 230 and saying, mm-hmm. we don't need to investigate as to whether these are legitimate adult escort services or their children. And I would argue mm-hmm. that the volume of the harm is so profound that the right. only solution you can reasonably present is, is to simply say, we can't do this. Well, and that's, a, that's, that's, a, one that's way. a debate to have. Yeah. Right. That's one way. The other way is if you are going to let people go on and have whatever it is that they're looking for that's not criminal, right? Um, And and you are going to accept dollars for that, then you have an affirmative obligation to filter. And here's the deal with the number of children that are bought and sold online, self-policing hasn't worked. It hasn't worked with Backpage. It's not working mm-hmm. with Google. If, you're, if you think that sex trafficking doesn't happen on Google, you have another thing coming, right? So <laughs> it, it, this crime happens on Facebook. It happens on Google. It happens elsewhere. These companies know about it. They don't like wanting to take responsibility for it. But guess what? It's profitable. These ads are profitable. And, you know, you sure. accept the That's dollar. That's absolutely true. You are now, you are now responsible for filtering. And so I think you could have a really open conversation and acknowledge that technology has just outpaced our regulatory system, number one. Mm -hmm. Come together and say, wait a minute, we have an industry-wide problem with exploitation of of humans and children. How do we create a, a universal tool that's a safe harbor? We all use it, then we cannot be sued, right? If there's harm, mm-hmm. because we're being good citizens, we're being good doobies. That conversation <laughs> should have happened. And guess what? It has not happened yet. And I hope, it's really my profound hope that with this new revelation about the, the data that was found offshore about Backpage's operations, which if your yeah. listeners, Sherry, don't, don't yeah. know what, what, was, what was in the Washington Post today, um, evidence has been revealed that suggests that, that uh, Backpage contractors in the Philippines have actually been building out a commercial sex network across, um, across the globe by yes, reaching out, desk, calling or, other ads. Is done, exactly, creating ads, yeah. um, taking ads from rival sex sites and calling up the people in those ads. That is, that is the furthest thing from passive behavior that you can, you know, imagine. And so when you look at the offshore activities of Backpage, you say, listen, these guys, this is a, this is a business plan. 
They are building out the world of commercial sex. Yeah. Um, let's re-examine what their, what their intent is in the United States, right? And I think many people are, are mistaken when they think that the effort is to shut down Backpage. That's not the effort at all. The effort is to create an economic incentive for Backpage to do more to make sure that children are not on its site. It's that simple. It is. It's that simple. And and I think we are in such a nasty atmosphere, particularly online uh, in these times right now, that people simply don't listen unless it's, you know, somebody tells them, they, in other words, they don't know what they're advocating for and against anymore. Um, it's, it's little sound bites that somebody, you know, said, or some tweet or posts that's crossed their feed and, oh yeah, yeah, that sounds good to me. And they don't know what all's in there. They don't know what it's hurting. I had, um, Melvin Lee, he is the uh, uh, the owner, the head, or the co-owner and head of Patriotic Warriors, a militia organization in this in this country. And um, you know, he's uh, also part of Citizens for Trump um, with Tim Saletti. And he had uh, he had watched your film, Mary, um, because I was posting about it when I the day I'd, I'd watched it, and then I started posting that you were coming on and. Um, he had seen that and he sent me a message and he's like, you know, what is this about? And I'm like, go watch the film, Melvin. And so he did. And he's like, he's, he's, <laughs> he was posting, uh, you know, messaging me like in real time, uh, as he was watching the film. So I know he was watching it cause he was commenting along the way. And, um, you know, he asked me, well, what do you think about Pizzagate and what do you think about this? And, you know, I, I told him where it's at and, and, uh, you know, he went and made a post. He, he actually went and made a post, um, uh, about your film, Mary, and about the CDA, uh, section 230. And, and he had called out all his militia and Republican brethren who had fought against, uh, any changes to these laws and stuff like that. And so I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, and, and again, mm. it's about, it's it's about digesting, you know. As as an activist, I, I'm I'm a longtime activist, and one of the things that I I, I taught people as as a leader in, in different activist groups and worlds along the way is that, you know, people standing on a on a, on a corner with a bullhorn, you know, yelling bullet points and stuff at people without giving them something actionable. That's that's the big mistake there. But the other big mistake is when you do have somebody that gives you the time of day to listen or an opportunity to get somebody to listen to see to hear, you we tend to give them too much and it's, we have to look at how people digest things the same as food. And if, if, you know, 10 of us went to a restaurant for breakfast, we're all going to order our eggs differently. Some of us might not even order eggs, you know, so someone might have a burger and that's because that's how we digest things. And so, you know, if you're talking to somebody who eats sunny side up eggs and you're trying to, you know, fill them full of scrambled, well, you're not going to get anywhere, you know, with them. So mm -hmm. we need to understand that when we're talking to people, that they are people there's good and bad about every single one of us. And there's, there's lessons that we all still have to learn, but somebody has ingrained something in everybody that we encounter in, especially in this atmosphere, we're talking about online people are, uh, you know, when, when anything to do with first amendment, second amendment rights right now is super hot topic. People are really, really buggy and there's a lot going on. So we need to make sure that in our, our passion for what we're doing and what we care about and what everybody should be caring about, especially when it comes to kids, is that we're delivering it up right to each individual. Fred, would you like to comment to Mary? Uh, and then, Mary, you're going to have a final thought before I swap you out for Eric Bauer. 
<laughs> no, look, I, you know, I think that my takeaway from this is that, that we have significant areas of overlap, you know, in terms of the horror of this particular crime and the need for our society to respond to it more effectively than we have. The, the, the point of contention is obviously how we balance the legitimate speech issues. And I understand Mary's point absolutely that this is, this is evidence of a crime and not speech, but it, it is legitimate to say that, that some of the solutions, purposefully or not, spill over to the speech realm. And that those are the kinds of considerations that we need to weigh. But the fundamental line is, or the, the fundamental conclusion is, regardless of how we resolve that debate as a society, we need to do better than we've been doing to fix this problem. Do, uh, you know, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that, Fred. And I think we, we fundamentally agree. Everybody wants a free and robust Internet. And we are only suggesting tweaks to the existing framework, right, so mm -hmm. that you can better right. eradicate and incentivize these platforms, which are now robust. They are now profitable. They are now mm -hmm. efficient. They now have tools that they didn't have 20 years ago. They couldn't manage large amounts of data back then. Now they I, track our every move online, right? And so yeah, that's really I think what it's all fundamentally – yeah, and I think fundamentally, these Jane Doe children across the country that are filing suit, I just have to say, these children who have rechanneled the trauma into giving themselves and others a voice, I can't tell you how brave they are. This has been a really trying time for them to stand up and say, we have a voice. We have a right to ask this question. And I think that's a voice that federal judges need to listen to, the CDT and the EFF, and Google and Facebook need to listen to. Absolutely. They absolutely you. do. Um, Mary, thank you so much uh, for joining us. we got 34 mi 30 more minutes on the show. Mary, I, if, you're, if you're unable to listen to the tail end of this, please do catch it in the archives so that you can hear where we went from there. Um, I, I think this next aspect of this conversation is going to be uh, extremely interesting between uh, these two. You're going to love here. Um, wonderful. Yeah, he's 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 funny. <laughs> I have already had some chat mm -hmm. with him uh, on online, and and he he's he was very funny. So, um, but yeah, so Mary, again, thank you so much. I, I definitely want to follow up with you again, and we're, we're going to do some more. Wonderful, Sherry. Thank you so much for your time, Fred. Great to chat, and and to both of you, thank you for the conversation that these children are really trying to raise. I, I can't I can't say that loud enough. Well, Silence Mary, kudos is the real to you disease. for everything you've done. All righty. Bye-bye yeah. now. You're, you're awesome, Mary. Bye -bye. Thank you very much. Fred, stand by. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna bring uh, uh, Eric on here. Um, this is going to be a really good conversation, you guys. So I, I look forward to uh, having him come on. Attorney Eric Bauer, to use Frederick's words, is litigating the most successful lawsuit by trafficking victims against Backpage.com so far. Adding, with the exception of Bauer's state lawsuit in Washington, no litigation by sex trafficking victims has been successful in piercing the protection provided to Backpage by Section 230. Eric is a Tacoma attorney with over 30 years of experience practicing law. His practice has focused on... Um, 
abused children and adults who, who were abused as children in successful lawsuits against the perpetrators and other responsible entities. As an adult survivor of child abuse myself, you know I applaud this man for his hard work for victims and survivors. His work with Backpage victims is also truly, truly needed. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing that more people aren't getting involved in this. Uh, you know, we need more people like Mr. Eric Bauer. Eric Bauer, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Sherry. How are you today? I'm good. Eric, meet Frederick. Hey, Eric, hi, Frederick. It's a pleasure <laughs> to meet you, Fred. Um, <laughs> thank Erica, you for all of you your know, work. Well, well, thanks. It's Yeah, I've worked with some very amazing people, and Mary's certainly been one of them, and uh and I've got some great partners on this case, and we're 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 moving ahead pretty effectively right now. Um, I want to I want to talk a little bit about about the case, what you can talk about, Eric, um, and and for Fred and I to kind of you know just comment on with you and and input. But one of the things that I'm interested in talking to you two together about before we get into the case itself is. Um, this is a little devil's advocate too, uh, in a sense, if when we're talking about um, law enforcement and, and tools for law enforcement tools to prosecute child traffickers and stuff like that, it's, it's very similar to tools, uh, you know, for pedophiles and, and, and child pornography, uh, a lot of the things that, that Fred works on. And when we, we have, we have tools that are available and part of part of our arsenal of tools um, are not always um, nice. They're not always something that people are like, Oh yeah, I think that's cool. Um, and so like, I'm going to bring up Jared Fogel, you know, a pedophile subway guy. Um, one of the FBI's tools in, in, in their sting with Jared Fogel um, and, and the pedophile uh, child pornography ring that was going on there was, the fact that they had done an investigation that, that spanned years uh, while they allowed him, knowingly allowed him to continue to perpetuate what he was doing uh, in order to try to catch him. And so I know that there are some people, uh, I'm not one of these people, but there are some people who have said that if we had people like Backpage and, and, and these ads were gone, then children that are missing uh, that are being found through those ads would no longer be found, that child traffickers will just find another way to do it. They'll go underground, and 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 so they're losing a resource, a tool. So um, I'm going to go straight to Fred real quick, and then, uh, Eric, you can comment on, on Fred's response. Okay. Well, I, you know, Sherry, I think that it, it's, it, it's a perpetual challenge, right? The, how far should law enforcement go in investigating crimes with the goal of catching bad people. Um, as you know, and Eric, I'm not sure if you know much about the work I've done, but I've been working on privacy issues and child pornography cases and so forth for the last 20 plus years. When I started mm -hmm. as a law clerk back in the late 80s, the um, Secret Service and the U.S. Postal Service had amazing tag team efforts where they would get warrants that were timed to the delivery of contraband to the doorstep of an individual. And they would always time the execution of the search warrant to delivery plus 15 minutes because they knew from experience 
that the guy would open up whatever it was he, was he had ordered and he would not be able to deny what was going on. Similarly to that, more recently, there's been a lot of concern in the uh, defense bar about the fact that there was a very um, high profile child pornography investigation involving a Tor website called Playpen in which the, um, basically the FBI operated the Playpen website for two to three weeks and by conservative estimate distributed almost a million child pornography images while it was under their control as part of their effort to develop as large a pool of potential defendants as possible. That's really troubling stuff. You know, and, and, and these are always the questions that courts are confronted with in terms of the application of the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Sixth Amendment, and so on, in terms of whether or not the government's legitimate law enforcement efforts exceed our constitutional principles. And I, I think those are good discussions to have because that is literally the rule of law. You know, we cannot become criminals ourselves while we're tracking down criminals. What do you have to say, well, yeah, um, I, Eric? Well, I, I agree with what Fred just said in terms of we can't become criminals in order to get criminals, uh, in order to catch them. But I don't know what applicability that really has to the back page phenomena because it's not a government run organization or website. It's a private enterprise making millions every year. Uh, and, and that's they completely make true. I, yeah. I was just answering Shelby's yeah. question, but sure. but you're absolutely right. Sure. Eric. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think what Sherry was saying was asking really is, gee whiz, and, and you hear this all the time for Backpage, gee whiz, we're the sheriff of the internet. We help police find the bad guys, find the missing kids. Well, they say that, but what they don't say is they don't quote the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, their figure that uh, they included in their amicus brief in our Supreme Court case, which stated that uh, due to the Internet, that there's been a 1,432% increase in reports of child sex trafficking to NCMEC over the course of the last five years, and that Backpage runs 80% of, of the uh, sex tra trafficking ads on the Internet. So you're, you're talking about a huge spike in reports of child sex trafficking to NCMEC due to Backpage. It's just a huge, huge spike. And let, let's face it, the Internet is an amazing marketing tool. It has a broad and very effective reach. It, you're able to reach a lot of people. And Backpage reaches a ton of people with anonymity, with ease. All you need to do to find a, a victim is to get on your smartphone in the privacy of your office, and you can scroll through thousands of ads that pimps and other traffickers put on, on the website and select your victim and call them up. The phone number's right there. The photographs are right there. I'm representing seventh-grade kids whose photographs, and they're dressed in underwear, lingerie, thong underwear, with their butts pointed up at the camera with taglines along the lines of, ass up, face down, come see Tasha, $80 specials. And this, these are ads, uh, Backpage ads that the pimps have put on Backpage showing these children, seventh grade kids, and the phone would ring off the hook. 
it, it was very effective. Uh, you know, I was told that within a half a minute of one of these ads being going online on Backpage, the phone would start ringing, and the pimps would just line up customers all night long. These kids would have to get raped by 10 to 20 different adults per night, night after night after night. This is how I spent my summer vacation in seventh grade, literally. And so when Eric, you hear Mary say, you know, that these kids are, you know, a child sex trafficking victim is, is a child that's been raped a thousand times, she's not exaggerating. It's reality. And, and, and it's brought to you by virtue of Backpage.com. When we're talking about the traffickers, when we're talking about the traffickers, I think this is a point that we haven't touched on. We talk about um, the the Johns, basically. We talk about we talk about the pimps, you know, the the child traffickers that are selling the kids to the Johns, who are raping them, you know, upwards of ten, twenty times a night. But what about the pimps themselves? Let's let's talk about that a little bit because they're not all nicey nicey to uh, their slaves. I mean, there's drugs, there's beatings. Can you talk a little bit on that, Eric? No, they're, they're sure they're horrific people. I mean, pimps are the lowest of the low in my book. They're uh, you know, a, a pimp that is selling a child. I, I don't know how you get any lower than that. Uh, I, I think that people wonder why tactic- is the kid staying? Why isn't the kid calling for help? Um, so I, I think that that the for, for people listeners to understand. Um, the sure. situation that the, the, the mindset of that child, their fear, their, their harm. Well, you, yeah, you got to put yourself in the shoes of the child, number one. And, you know, my, my kids are 13, 14, 15 years old. And they're being confronted with adult pimps, number one. I mean, you're talking 32-year-old guys that are experienced at doing this. There's this thing called traumatic bonding uh, that mm-hmm. happens when people are, you know, under, under different forms of trauma. And you see it a lot in domestic violence cases. You'll see it when, oh, for example, Sally, and Sally's 45 years old, and her husband, Fred, comes home. Not Fred, but George. <laughs> comes home. Uh, sorry, Fred. <laughs> so, <laughs> George will come home on Friday. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Let's say George comes home on Friday night. He's drunk. He beats the heck out of Sally. She, she calls the police, and... Uh, Monday morning, she's in court, you know, gee whiz, let him out. He's a good husband. He has to go to work and that sort of thing. Oh, he didn't mean it. And we all kind of shake our heads at Sally, but we understand that happens. We understand Sally's a a victim of domestic violence, and we're used to that term. Well, you transpose that, and you put, now Sally's a 13-year-old kid, and George is a 30-some-odd-year-old pimp who uses, Fred's an, or George is an amateur. He just does it on Friday night when he's drunk, this, this violence. But these pimps, that's their tool. That's their stock and trade. Mm-hmm. That's what they do. They're good at it. They study it. They perfect it. And, and you know, law enforcement has, uh, they call them gorilla pimps and Romeo pimps. And most of them are, are a mixture of both. They use seduction. They use all sorts of mind manipulation and violence and drugs to gain control of these children. And it works. It just works. A a 13-year-old kid is no match for one of these professional adult pimps. It's that easy. Correct. And Fred is... And I think Eric Eric is exactly right. And 
you know, there's a variation of this known as the Stockholm syndrome, that once you're basically in captivity, there's there's an identification with the captor, which is partly a survival instinct and partly just a, a psychological defense. And, and this is incredibly well established. Then when you factor in, you know, the the quote unquote romantic piece of it, the the drug dependencies, the actual physical food and sleep dependencies, uh, you know, the, the psychological and physical manipulation is profound. And that's what makes this such a compelling social issue that we need to address. Uh, you know, I, it just it is absolutely dumbfounding that any human being could do this to another. The, the, that actually may explain why we don't confront this that as a society, we can't really absorb the fact that this is actually happening to children in the numbers in which it's happening. And we need to break yeah. through. And, and Sherry, that's exactly what you're talking about in terms of breaking down the silence that is, that is out there about this kind of stuff. And it, it's yeah, a people... deeply uncomfortable topic. It's 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 either people either find it uncomfortable or they don't believe it or they're embarrassed by it or they have been touched mm -hmm. by it and don't want it. Why is it always up to survivors? Why is it up to victims and their it's attorneys? Not, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't right. be because children are our future, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> children are our future. If we if we don't want to have and you know I, I don't know where you all stand and I'm sorry, but if we don't want to have you know. Donald Trump in the White House, then we need to be taking care of how we're raising our kids, what we're growing them up to be. What are we raising in this country? We have so much mental health problems as it stands right now in this country right now. Year after year after year, it's gone worse and worse and worse. We have problems and people want to blame fluoride. They want to blame GMO. They want to blame processed foods. They want to blame, you know, pharma and do all those things, do environment and all of that, you know, nature and, and everything have something to do with stuff. Sure. Sure. I'm sure that it has impacts, but we are raising psychopaths. We are raising sociopaths. Mm -hmm. We are, you know, we, we are doing this ourselves because we, just like technology hasn't caught up, we haven't caught up with technology as individual people and what it actually mm -hmm. really does mean to us in our own lives. So all these things are really important. Eric, I want to jump back over to you and I would like it uh, as much as you can. I'd like you to talk about the cases you're working on right now for back with regards to Backpage for the I Am Jane Doe victims. Well, yeah, we're, we're getting ready for trial. We have trial set for October 9th uh, here in Pierce County Superior Court. It'll be a jury trial. And right now we are gearing up for that trial. We're taking depositions all over the place, uh, you know, just doing a million motions and fighting off another appeal by Backpage and the, the whole nine yards. We're currently, uh, Backpage is being represented by uh, Washington State's largest law firm, a firm with 17, I think it's, no, 1,100 attorneys, I don't, a lot of lawyers. Wow. Wow. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm amazed there are that many attorneys available. <laughs> yeah, well, they're not, they can't all talk at once, luckily, you know. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, Eric, but, that's amazing. Eric, why yeah, do you think that yeah, you have been more successful than, than previous attorneys? Um, you know, you've, you've, you've had some success. You're, you're getting somewhere, whereas others have not. Why, why do you think? I mean, other than you're obviously a great attorney, but um, what, what more to it is there? 
Well, we had a, you know, I had a different approach from the start with the case, uh, uh, an approach no one had tried yet. And quite honestly, I was able to look at the case through the lens. Of, I have a lot of criminal law experience. And instead of looking at Backpage and, as a company in terms of an editor or a publisher or some newspaper company like that, I was looking at them like they're criminals. Uh, and I was. That's great. Yeah, helping pimps sell kids. And that's illegal. It's called accomplice liability. And, you know, so I was looking at it through that lens. And uh, I think I was able to see things and articulate things to the court uh, in an effective way that other people with solely civil backgrounds were, you know, they just weren't used to it. And they didn't have that you, mindset. You must have looked at this document dump out of Philippines as a bit of a Christmas present. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, it has been. Uh, we, you know, quite honestly, that's, really late in the game for us we've been fighting this for six years now and sure. uh, so we're, we're really well developed anyway i believe and quite honestly okay. I, I look at it I, I just look at all the ads ad after ad after ad i mean there's there's photographs of these kids in underwear with taglines that are very provocative with phone numbers with prices and i go what else do you need Right. Mm. What else do you need? You know, Fred. Fred is immersed. Fred is also immersed in horrific imagery himself with regards to children. Go ahead, Fred. Yeah. Sorry, Sherry. I, I, I'm, I'm actually a little bit curious on this, Eric, because I, I do a lot of work in the uh, computer forensics realm. I'm, I'm a computer forensics expert, and because I'm an independent. Uh, forensic examiner. A lot of my work ends up being for the criminal defense bar, particularly federal defenders. And one of the ongoing issues that that arises in those kinds of um, cases is is the age determination. And you know, typically, sure. what ends up happening, obviously, is that prosecutors tend not to try to prosecute uh, child pornography cases that involve, uh, say, teens, basically 14 and up roughly speaking, because of the problem of determining that the individual is is under the age of 18. Is that something that you're confronting with respect to this trial? All my clients have birth certificates. <laughs> you know, we well, don't that's, know all that's Right, that solves <laughs> that. But then in terms of the evidence of the of the photos online, right? Does, are there yeah, any I get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, my client's photos were all online. We have copies of those. So we know that they were sold off of Backpage, and that's right. very clear, and good luck uh, contesting well, that Hold one. on, Eric. In terms well, of that's, all that's, com that, that's compelling Wait, wait hold, hold on. Hold on, yeah. guys. Hold on, guys. Um, I understand what Fred's getting at, and, and I, I want to give a little analogy. Uh, I am, sorry, guys, but I am a, a well-endowed, breasted woman. Um, I have always mm -hmm. looked older when I was young. I looked much older than I was when I was 12 years old. Aside from the abuse that I had endured, just in general, at grocery stores and stuff, most men actually thought I was at least 18 uh, just to look at me at 12 years old. So I think what Fred's saying is, in these imageries, where's the stopgap for someone like Backpage if an image looks like they're not a minor? So he's wanting to know, I believe, tell me if I'm wrong, Fred, are you, in your cases, are you running into any of the images where they don't necessarily look like minors? 
Oh, well, yeah. I mean, Backpage, probably most ads on Backpage uh, do not look like minors. I mean, quite frankly, but there's plenty that do. There are plenty right. that do. And the last time I looked, in every state in our union, except for Nevada, parts of Nevada, uh, it's <laughs> against the law to engage in human sex trafficking regardless of age. And if you're going to be so daring and so bold as to have a, a business, which is against the law, uh, and that is likely to be attracting pimps that's, you know, they're, they're criminals, and they sell people, and they're probably not going to be ter- deterred or so moral that they won't sell people under the age of 18. So, I mean, shouldn't you be ultra careful that kids are not getting sold on your website? It's against the law to start with. Right. right. No, I, right. I, I agree. Well, and, you know, and, I mean, and, isn't and obviously that just, like, negligent point. and reckless and all of that? Right. And <laughs> Eric's point is well taken from an evidentiary point of view. He's in a position, and actually in my experience with the, the, you know, the, the electronic sexual abuse of children, you know, prosecutors typically will use images that have been ratified by NCMEC as being identified with a specific victim, which is exactly what Eric's doing in this particular case. So, you know, that really gets around the entire image. Earlier, um, earlier, Eric, we were talking with Mary about whether, you know, the, the free speech implications of this. And, and one of the things I actually was willing to entertain was the idea that because all of this is basically promoting a criminal activity, one of the yeah. solutions is to at least discuss the possibility of simply saying that these kinds of sexual services advertisements are are not legal. Well, I, I don't even think you need to say it. I think it's already clear in the law that they're not legal. And there's, yeah. there's really no First Amendment protection there. I mean, you know, stick them up. When you go into a bank and say, stick them up, that's not protected. <laughs> I love you, Eric. You were just like, you're just pretty simple in how you put it out there. It's like, cut to the chase. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's called evidence. Just called evidence. And if you stand on a street corner and say, you know, kids for sale, come get your kids. uh, Yeah. Hey, that's again evidence. And I don't think it's jury's got to love you because they're doing it online, you know. But, Eric, I'm going to get slightly First Amendment legalistic on you because. The, the distinction would be that you can walk into a bank and say, stick them up. And you're absolutely right. That becomes evidence, but it becomes a question of prior restraint. What we're talking about here is the government basically saying to Backpage or to other online advertisers, as a matter of law, you may not exercise this particular form of speech. Now, it is commercial speech, which I believe is less protected anyway. But the distinction there is that the government can't tell me not to say, stick them up. They can simply use it against me later if I do that. Well, that's an effective way of telling you not to do it. Well, of course, <laughs> right. <laughs> you would <laughs> it's, if, if, it's, if, it's a little bit if of you're looking at hair. 20 I agree. <laughs> you know, I mean. <laughs> right. Right. But you understand my point. You know, here we're talking about and, and I'm and let me be very clear. I think this harm is great enough. We should be talking about it. But we're talking about the government saying to organizations in the United States, 
there are certain things you may not put on your website. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't even when, – when it comes to selling kids, I yeah. mean, there's plenty yeah. of laws on the books. Uh, in every state, we have federal laws that, that say you can't do that. Yeah, and, and yeah so I agree. Why on earth would just the mere fact that it's on the Internet somehow sanctify it? I mean, is the Internet that special, that cool, that neat that we're going to allow you to sell children just because you're doing it on the Internet? That makes zero well, sense. Congress that, never said that was okay. The founding fathers would go, what? What's the internet? Wait, wait a second, though. They had slavery, yeah, and they were selling go. children at that time. So, so Yeah, yeah but not on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. Okay, fair enough. Okay, but but look, Eric, I agree with you, and I and I think your lawsuit is brilliant, and the work you've done is is absolutely amazing. I think that you know, in part, you know, and Sherry has has allowed me to be a little bit of a, a whipping boy tonight. But I think that part of the <laughs> issue is that, in yeah. fact, you know, in fact, Congress in 1996, when they passed the Communications Decency Act did in fact think that the incident was that special. And you had court decisions, you know, in, in uh, what was it, ACLU versus Reno, both there and in the Third Circuit, where, where the courts were basically saying, we've never invented a form of communication that was this democratic. And so at least for argument's sake, it's a very special thing that we need to be careful about. Now, I happen to agree with your conclusion your conclusion that that there are laws against this and we should just go with that but but it is a special thing well sure but the internet isn't more special special than anywhere else okay gentlemen i i'm going to pass it over to you eric for for a final thought um and and then uh you got one minute and then back to you fred for a final thought and i got to wrap up this show eric go ahead well you know there's I'm just thinking of what my mother would say about her grandchildren, and she would say that there's nothing more special than her grandchildren, you know? And and she would mean that. She would mean that with all her heart and her soul. And there is nothing more special than the children. The future of the country depends on them. The Internet, it's a form of communication. Big deal. Kids are living souls, living beings, and when they get raped, Thousands of times, and I'm quoting one of the fathers of my child victims, he says they stole part of her soul. It's like missing uh-huh. that. So we fight, that. We, we fight that. It's just so clear that the Internet is not more important than children's lives, children's souls on any level. Never has been, never will be. This is America. Definitely and we're not. better than that. Definitely not. Eric, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Fred, do you have a final thought? Yeah, I do. I, I, I want to be clear once again that, that the work that Mary and Eric are doing is on the side of the angels and that we have a profound social problem that we need to address vigorously on all fronts. My concluding thought with respect to the First Amendment is that part of our obligation as adults is to be vigilant in making sure that the scope of the right to free speech that we hand down to our children is as fully protected as we can make it. And 
I, I, I absolutely agree that the kinds of speech that is resulting in the abuse of children is not within the scope of that. But I want to make sure that we deal with this kind of thing deliberately and, and avoid the kinds of principal damage that could come back to haunt us in the future. Great Thank show. you. Thanks, Fred. Thanks, uh, thanks, both you gentlemen. Thank you, Mary, uh, for coming on the show. This, this to me is one of the more important shows that I've done. I've done a lot of shows that I feel and my guests have felt are important shows, um, but this one's really important to me because it, it marries the two things that, that I am very, very vocal about, and that is uh, child safety and technology. So I, I, I hope that you pass this link on and share it with people. I hope you give it a listen again uh, to get more of the finer po- points. I know I'm going to listen to it a few times and, and see what I missed just in doing the show. But here's what it boils down to. What is it that you advocate for? Are you sure? Are you sure about the details of what you think you are or not supporting? Are you for or against things just for any reason or the right reasons? Who does your yay or nay on anything impact and how? And do you even care? Our words, my words, your words, they have power. What are you using your power for? What impact are your words making on the world, in your community, in your home? We have to take responsibility for the misinformation, hate, and distraction that we participate in, whether we're creating it or curating it, the endless cycle of click, like, share. Are we any better as a collective for what we're contributing, what you're contributing, what I'm contributing? If you like what I'm doing, please share the links, especially to this show. If you find value in what I do, tips to the show's PayPal are also greatly appreciated, always needed. If you missed part of tonight's show or any of the others, you can find the archives and the donor links on the website at challengingtherhetoric.news. That's it for me tonight, guys. Thank you so much. I'll be back again soon. Until then, be kind to one another and resist.